Please take your Bibles and turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 23. Luke's Gospel, chapter 23, and we'll be begin this morning with verse 49. One might be tempted to look at this particular portion of the Scriptures that we consider today and consign it as nothing more or little more than just filler. I mean, after all, the big events have taken place insofar as Jesus' suffering and Jesus' death. And the biggest event, speaking of Jesus' resurrection, is not yet taken place. It's coming, which we'll be looking at the next time I, I preach to you here. So here between the the major events of the life of Jesus Christ, his suffering, His death, and His resurrection, you've got, well, it's a nice little story, but is it really that big of a deal? We would look at it and say, yes, we, we understand that these things are true. This is actual history. This is what took place. And it fills in some of the details that are good to know. But... In the big scheme of things, it seems to be relatively insignificant, doesn't it? How this man, Joseph of Arimathea, well, as a challenge, if we are tempted to give way to that line of thinking, a challenge to that line of thinking would be this. All four of the gospel writers... Give us these details. That is significant. There are some details that we find in some of the Gospels that we do not find in the other three. However, when we read of Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all four of them give the details of this man and they give us different insights about this man which we'll be piecing together throughout the message But it does bring to light that for some reason the Holy Spirit inspired the writers of the New Testament Gospels to give us these details. And hence we can rest assured that they are not there just as filler. They are there for our benefit. They are there as the Word of God for us. And so as we approach this this portion of Scripture... We keep that truth in mind that there is something here that God wants us to see. And it may not have the relevance in as far as redemptive history is concerned as the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. We are not redeemed by having the account of Joseph of Arimathea given to us here. However, it is given to us in the Word of God. And so we deem it as important as inspired by the Holy Spirit given to each of the writers. Begin reading with me here in verse 49 through the end of the chapter, verse 56. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. And of course, they're speaking of what has transpired on the cross of Christ and those who have come by and then Christ's death Then verse 50, and a man named Joseph, 
who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. So they returned and prepared spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. You know, where does this guy, Joseph, come from? Other than Arimathea. Where does this guy come from? We haven't heard anything about this man before. We're not going to hear anything more about this man. And here he is at a crucial point in the story of Jesus. The crucifixion. Jesus has died. What now is to be done with his body? John tells us that Joseph of Arimathea is called a secret disciple of Jesus. He said he was a secret disciple because of the fear of the Jews. Although he may have been a secret among men, he was not a secret to God, was he? He was God's, if you would allow the terminology, he was God's secret agent who shows up at the appropriate time to minister as God's agent in this place. Joseph of Arimathea, in many respects, is like most of us. He has been operating for some period of time. We don't know how long. We don't know when Joseph of Arimathea became a disciple of Jesus. But he's been operating in an in a quiet, in an obscure fashion. It's most likely that none of us, you know, save some surprising intervention, but it's most likely that none of us are ever going to reach a place of great fame and notoriety because we are disciples of Jesus. So we're, it's, not, just not, it's just not likely that we're going to be famous because of what we accomplish for Jesus Christ in this world. And although Joseph, here of Arimathea, he is actually moved from a place of obscurity to he becomes actually center stage here. That's not the biggest issue. The issue here is not how well known Joseph of Arimathea becomes. The the issue is not here the notoriety that may come to him because of what he does here. The issue here for Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea is he has been called as God's agent for a task and he is called to faithfulness within that task. So in that respect as well, he's no different from us. That we are called 
Because we have been chosen by God. We are called to serve as His agents. Called to serve as to accomplish His work. And it may not be something as what turns out to be as visible and as significant as what Joseph of Arimathea does. However, we can labor and are called to labor in much the same way that Joseph of Arimathea does. And that's what I want us to consider here today. Joseph of Arimathea as an agent of God. And how we are called likewise to be an agent and to do many of the same things that we see here in the life of this man. First of all, Joseph is a model of God's power, which we are called to be. Called to be a model of God's power. You pick among the the circles of Jesus' day, of the place that is least likely to produce a Christian convert? What group of people will you say there is least likely to be in this group of people a follower of Jesus Christ? I would rank up there the Sanhedrin. If there's any group of people that there's most likely not going to be any convert to Christ, it's in the Sanhedrin. And yet we find here in the life of Joseph of Arimathea a demonstration of God's long arm of mercy, isn't it? It's a long arm of mercy and a model of His power. The model of what the power of God can do in the life of a man. Joseph of Arimathea, verse 50, he's described as a member of the council. He's one of the Sanhedrin. One of 70, one of the Jewish governing council. And in Mark tells us, Mark's account, Mark chapter 15, verse 43, tells us that he was a prominent member of the council. One who was known and highly regarded and respected. We also understand from the gospel he was a rich man, which may have something to do with his prominence. And of course, we know that the Sanhedrin was the group that led the way in actively opposing Jesus and His ministry and led the way in Jesus being crucified. They were the driving party, the driving force behind all the actions against Jesus Christ. And then, as Luke speaks of, he's in verse 50, a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council. If he just stopped right there. And you know, if you didn't know what was coming next. You don't know anything about Joseph of Arimathea. You just know a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council. You know, if you didn't have the next words, which we do have... Our mindset would likely go to, uh oh, this can't be good. They're not done yet. But here, Luke, in antithesis, antithesis to that, 
to the fact that here was a man who was a member of the Sanhedrin, Luke very quickly redirects our way of thinking and says he was a good and a righteous man. He had not consented to their plan and action. Now we had read earlier that the the Sanhedrin came as a group and it says that they all came in agreement. So this tells us that Joseph evidently was not there when they came bringing Jesus before Pilate. Joseph was not a part of this. So he had not consented to their plan. Then he goes on. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God. So he's a good and a righteous man that had not considered the plan of the, of the Sanhedrin. Described in verse 51 as one who is waiting for the kingdom of God. John's gospel described, as we read earlier, a disciple of Jesus. A secret one for fear of the Jews. And somewhere along the line, we don't know where, but somewhere throughout this ordeal that the Jewish leadership was going through with Jesus, somewhere in this process, God did a work of grace in this man's heart. And this man, he saw his expectation of God's kingdom. It's what he said. He's waiting for the kingdom of God. He saw that ex- the expectation of God's kingdom being fulfilled in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That, my friend, is a work of grace. That dear folks, is a model of God's power. The power of God to bring a man from where he was to where he sees in Jesus Christ the coming of God's kingdom. Then we see the course of action in verse 52 and following that there he, he goes to Pilate and he asks for the body of Jesus, a very courageous action. It was no easy task for him to do that. First of all, we already know that Pilate was not a friend to the Jews anyway. And Pilate had been bullied or had his hand forced by the Jews to crucify Jesus. It wasn't something that he initially wanted to do. And even as, as Pilate put the, the inscription above Jesus which was to indicate the crimes for which someone was being crucified. And what he put on there was that this is Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews, to spite them. And so here comes Joseph of Arimathea to Pilate. Joseph of Arimathea, a member of the Sanhedrin, could well have been known to Pilate. And in fact, it may have been what gave him access to Pilate. A member of the Sanhedrin wants to see you. 
took courage. One who had maintained secrecy as a disciple of Jesus. Again, John tells us it was due to the fear of the Jews. The Jews had already said that if anyone who was to announce to proclaim Christ, following Christ, then they were to be removed from the synagogue, according to John chapter 9, verse 22. This is not only someone who is a a Jewish citizen. This is a member of the Sanhedrin. Much to be lost. Much to be sacrificed here if he identifies with Jesus Christ as a disciple of Christ. And in Mark, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 15 Matthew tells us in Matthew 15, 43, in his account of this story, he said he uses these words that that Joseph of Arimathea, he gathered up his courage. (laughs) This was not an easy task. And we see something of God's grace to Joseph of Arimathea in that he was not alone, was he? That Nicodemus, the one who came to Jesus by night, recorded in John chapter 3, that Nicodemus came at least to assist in the removing Christ from the cross and the preparation of His body. The grace of God to one who had a very difficult path to follow, that God gave him a companion. Nicodemus, likewise a ruler of the Jews. A member of the Sanhedrin. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, were they converted? Well, Joseph Arimathea is identified as a disciple of Jesus. Was Nicodemus converted? I certainly can't say definitely. That would be reading something that's not given to us. But I'm of the mind that, that God gives such special task to His people. And so I believe that Joseph and Nicodemus were two men that God brought from darkness to light. Rulers, members of the council of Jerusalem, and God brought them unto Himself. Such is the power of God. The courage continues as likely as He goes to Pilate. You remember when, when the Jews brought Jesus before Pilate, says that they would not go into the praetorium before Pilate with him because they did not want to be defiled by going into this this Greek arena, this Greek setting, and being defiled in their preparations. You know what, what likely Joseph Arimathea had to do? He had to go into that place, willing to go into the praetorium. Not only that, Willing to do what would be absolutely unthinkable at this time of preparation for the for the Passover, the Passover activities continuing on there. What would be unthinkable here would be to go and to touch and embrace and to lift a dead corpse. Because that would bring defilement as well, making him disqualifying him from participation in the ritualistic worship that they were called upon. Now you see something in here in Joseph of Arimathea, 
something of what we see in the life and the spirit of Moses. And the Hebrew, the writer of the book of Hebrews says of Moses that he considered the reproach of Christ as greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And I think we see here in Joseph of Arimathea that he regarded the reproach of Christ, the reproach of taking this dead body, of contaminating himself as being ritualistically defiled as a greater treasure than the treasures that he had found in serving in the in the Sanhedrin. What a model of God's grace. What a model of His great power that one can be delivered from such a place of, of prominence, a place of reputation, one who has so much in the way of resources, one who has so much to lose. And the power of God that He opened His eyes to see. Jesus Himself said, Jesus Himself said, it's, it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Remember the rise of Paul to the saints of Corinth. Not many of you are wise, not many of you are noble, not many of you. But with that is the, is the, is the reality though, some of you, some of you are noble are of noble name and position. Not many. But God in His mercy and His grace saves some from such prominence and reputation and resources. One who's been in a place surrounded by the lies and the hypocrisy and the malicious design of Sanhedrin against Jesus. He's sat and he's heard all this. He's been quiet. At least he's been quiet about The fact that he's following Christ. Perhaps he's spoken in defense of Christ. But he's not identified himself publicly as a disciple. And one who comes to a place of seeing in a crucified man. Seeing in a crucified Jesus a Savior. Seeing in a crucified Jesus the coming of God's kingdom. Folks, you don't see that apart from the grace of God. You don't see that apart from the power of God at work in your heart and in your life. That's the only way that is possible. And he sees a crucified Jesus and he sees a Savior. He sees a King. He sees the kingdom of God having come and coming in Him And folks, that's the story of our lives, isn't it? All of us are, in varying degrees, we're models of God's power. You know, we've talked about that, but I've just shared with you on many occasions, just, you know, a background that I came from, that God just delivered me from, from religious, grew up going to church, but He, he, he delivered this little self-righteous Pharisee, is what He did. Where I had to come to realize that my need was not to be in church. My need was not to be doing good things. My need was to be converted. I needed Christ. You know, what's your testimony? Whatever your testimony is today, if you are a child of God, it is a model of the power of God because only the power of God could bring you from where you were to where you are in Christ. Only God can do that. 
It doesn't matter the depth of the sin. It doesn't matter the apparent righteousness of the life that you lived. God in His grace delivers both, doesn't He? So that we are called as a model of, the, of God's power to let our lives and let our mouths give testimony to the power of God. This is what God has done. And what a testimony here we see in the life of Joseph Arimathea. You know, God picks His people from some of the strangest places, doesn't He? <laughs> he doesn't pick the people I'd pick. There's some people that I thought I would have picked and God hadn't picked them yet. Man, I'd be a great Christian. <laughs> he just doesn't do it that way, does He? Because it all comes down to His glory. I'll have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And He is glorified. Whether it be those who are living lives that are brought from the absolute depths of wickedness and sin. And to those of us who seem to live in the sin of self-righteousness. But how many times I had people tell me before, before I was converted, if there was ever anybody they thought was converted, it was me. People tell me that. If there was any young man in the church they thought was converted, it was Randy McReynolds. And guess what? He wasn't. But God delivers, doesn't He? The power of God. The power of God that He can bring understanding. You know, and I had a lot of biblical understanding. I had a, a lot of understanding about the Gospel. But He can break through this, this deception of religious activity and showing the need is conversion. Or that He can take a life that is marred by sin and can show them that, that the need there is not to fix yourself. The need there is conversion. Let God change you. Testimony of the power of God. Secondly, we see called to serve as ministers of God's purpose. The Bible, the biblical record of those who are present here at the crucifixion of Jesus, and those who remain throughout this ordeal. Well, the Scriptures give us the account of those who are there. In the midst of that reading, there is a conspicuous absence, isn't there? There's a conspicuous absence among those who are there at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, and that is... The disciples of Jesus. Save one. John. In the days of Jesus' crucifixion, the standard operating procedure for those who were victims of crucifixion, of course, those who were victims of crucifixion were there because they were punished as criminals Generally, the case would be that they were denied burial, that their bodies were just simply taken and dumped. Although there might be the granting of a body if a relative were to come and to request it, the general procedure was the soldiers removed the body from the cross and their bodies were just taken out and dumped somewhere. And we have here in verse 49 this mentioning here of 
it says, and all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. This group of women that were present here. Matthew and Mark identify them as Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the Less and, and Joseph, and Salome, who is the wife of Zebedee, the mother of James and John. The Mark also tells us in, in Mark's account, 15 verse 40, is that there were also many other women, and they're described in Mark 15, 41, as those who used to follow him and minister to him. So when things became rough, when the going got tough and painful, the disciples have scattered. There's none to be found here at the crucifixion of Jesus that we know of other than John. But these women who were used to following him and had ministered to him, here they are again. How might they minister to him now? And we see here the ways in which God's purposes are accomplished two ways here. Number one, there is the horizontal as Joseph of Arimathea serves as an agent of help, helping these women who have been faithful, these women who have ministered, and perhaps, again, looking for where they might minister, their thinking has to be, what's going to happen here? What's going to happen to the body of Jesus? In the disciples' absence, which, if there were anyone that you might expect to take the responsibility, to take the lead, and to do something here, you would expect the disciples might do so. Not the case. In the disciples' absence, these women are limited in what they can, or at least are likely willing to do. Not likely that they're going to request Jesus' body. And it's even less likely that someone of such prominence would be granted to them. And here comes Joseph of Arimathea, God's agent, to help these to do what they either would or could not do. It's interesting when you read there, and if beginning in verse 49, all of his acquaintances and the women who were accompanying him from Galilee were standing at a distance seeing these things. Then verse 50, and a man, and a man named Joseph. Nobody knows who this guy is. <laughs> we don't. We've been reading all through Luke, never heard of him. And then we get down further description in verse 51, but then in verse 52, this man, this man went forth, went to Pilate. In absence of the men who we would expect to be there, this man went as an agent of help on the horizontal level. But there's also here the vertical way in which the purposes of God are accomplished. And that is that we see here Joseph of Arimathea honoring Jesus in his death. Honoring Jesus in his death. Act of honor here. The disciples of Jesus apparently unwilling to offer any care for Jesus' body. Now, perhaps they've come to the conclusion, well, at this point, what difference does it make? We can't do anything now. 
What difference does it make what happens to his body? Well, apart from the fact that Jesus said he was going to be in the earth. And he would rise in three days on the third day. But Joseph comes giving appropriate honor to Jesus by the care that he shows. Again, this man, verse 52, this is the man who does these things. It's not the disciples. It is this man who comes honoring his Lord, honoring his Savior, not able to prevent his death, but willing to show proper respect and reverence to the Lord Jesus Christ. So what is God's purpose for us as his agents? The same thing. First of all, we have we have the response responsibility on a horizontal level, horizontal level. The ministry of encouragement to the saints as Joseph steps in here doing as an encouragement, not just for the reading, but the result is an encouragement to these women who could not and would not do these things. And the horizontal responsibility is that we have of, of ministering in the context of the body of believers that God has placed us in. We are not here today, folks, only to worship God. You know that? We are not here strictly to come and to worship God. Otherwise, we could do what we're doing at home. But we are called together corporately. We are called together to worship together that there might be a ministry here together of edifying the saints together as together we, we worship our God. But everything we do here at church, everything we do here in worship is not vertical. There is a horizontal dimension which we are called to exercise as the people of God. That's why it's important that we be with the people of God. That we not despise. That we not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Oh, I don't feel like going there. I don't think I'm going to make it. Rather seeing this is something I have a responsibility to my brothers and my sisters in the Lord toward them. But also, I need them. You know, there's the, again, we come back to the picture of the body that gives, that Paul gives to us and to the saints of Corinth. You know, just because you're not this doesn't mean you're not important. And you don't look and you say, well, they're not anything important either. The fact of the matter is, we need each other. I need you. You need me. We mutually benefit one from another. And so we see here just the example of here by the, the work, the initiative that Joseph of Arimathea does, an encouragement to these women who desire that something be done but couldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And he steps in, ministering with the context of what he is able to do. His gifts, his strengths, his place of ministry. So we come and we, we give in the context of the body. According to our gifts and our strengths. But we also, we come together, we receive in the context of the body from other people's strengths and other people's gifts. So we have a wonderful opportunity 
as God's agents, the people of God, a horizontal plateau to minister one to another. But there is the vertical aspect as well. That is our duty. It is our responsibility that we show the proper reverence and honor that is due to our God and is due to our Christ in our life. We give to our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, His worship that is due to Him, service that is due to Him. There is a vertical relationship here. And that's the problem of, of so much of what's become the social gospel becomes so focused upon the horizontal that it's absolutely abandoned the fact that we live and we walk before God. And so we here see in the model of Joseph Arimathea just simply one, he comes and he honors his Lord in a way that, you know, what else can you do? Here's a dead body. Here's a dead body. What can I do for my Lord now? I can take Him. And I can wrap Him. And I can place Him in a tomb. And honor Him and glorify Him. To give honor that is rightfully our Lord's. That's God's purposes. That we live rightly, both in the vertical and the horizontal, both in our relationship with Him and our relationship one with another. We minister to Him, we minister one to another. It's our calling. It's God's purposes, God's work being accomplished. And finally, we see here Joseph of Arimathea is the means of God's providence. The means of God's providence. See, there is a Biblical prophecy that is being fulfilled here, isn't there? Isaiah fifty-three verse nine. In fact, it's in your it's in your bulletin here. The very last section, four lines from the bottom. Isaiah fifty-three verse nine. His grave was assigned with wicked men. That's the cross with criminals. His grave assigned with wicked men. And had there not been intervention, his place would have been just his body taken out, dumped somewhere as a crucified criminal. His grave was a son with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death. How many times do you think that happened to a crucified criminal? See, there's something here of a small vindication of Jesus. It's not the full vindication. That's coming. But there's something of a vindication here. And his being taken from the cross and placed in a place where criminals don't belong. Because otherwise, he would have been taken to a place where the righteous do not belong. So God in his providence... He orchestrates the life here of Joseph of Arimathea, this secret disciple that shows up just at the right time, fulfilling the words of Scripture, sparing our Lord the dishonor of His body simply being cast aside, placed in a new, unused tomb that did not have the contamination of any other dead bodies. One that was even His own. 
God accomplishing His purposes. God's providence at work here. There's no reason to think that as Joseph did these things, that he saw himself as fulfilling the Scripture. I don't think Joseph Arimathea had a clue about Isaiah 53.9 at that point. But he was. Wasn't he? God's plan accomplished through him. So well, that's great. God's providence there in the life of Joseph Arimathea. I mean, he's fulfilling Scripture. I don't think God's going to be calling me to fulfill any prophecies. <laughs> that's probably true. I think it's reasonable to say that's absolutely true. But our joy in this is seeing that we are a part. If we are in the family of God, if we are children of God through the work of regeneration, conversion by the Spirit of God, then we are a part of God's redemptive plan. Not so dramatic as a fulfillment of scriptural prophecy. You know, we look at this and hey, this is neat. <laughs> but nonetheless, it is a plan. It is God's plan. God's plan is to save some. And if you are a child of God this morning, you are part of God's plan. And you are where you are by His divine providence. He's brought you where you are. And so God is glorified as God continues to write His story of redemptive history, which includes you and me as the people of God. See, there is purpose. We have a purpose. And His purpose is accomplished. We have the assurance of, of God's oversight and His care over our lives. That we are the means of God's providence today. You're here today because God keeps you. God sustains you. God has brought you here. If you're a child of God, God kept you. If any of you, and I think some of you perhaps did, came to, came to faith Beyond childhood or beyond teenage years, I came, I came to Christ in, in my, about age 14 or 15. It's easy to look back and think, boy, the ways that God spared me before I was converted. You think about that. See, that's God's providence. That's God's providence that, that kept you Safe. They kept you alive until the day when you were converted. And now, if I die, it's okay. I'm glad I didn't die before then. And I understand all the mysteries of God's election and His decree and all. I say understand. I don't understand all. There's a lot of mystery too that I don't understand. But I realize that there are, there are depths of that that we don't want to just dismiss. You know, and the reality is that we would say that God's, God's elect cannot die before God converts them. I, I would agree with that. But on the other hand, I have to look back realistically. There was, there was a time in my life 
If had I died, I would have been in a Christless eternity. But God in His providence kept. Oh, the mercies of God that He showed to me before He converted me. To be a means of His of God's providence. <clears throat> so do you see yourself as an agent of God? Oh, not a secret agent necessarily, as Joseph Arimathea was, but an agent that's used by God to accomplish His purposes. You know, in our picture, our story is not going to be just like Joseph Arimathea. But it is a story. And it's a story of grace. It's a story of the power of God. Your story, your life story, is a story of the power of God. If you're a child of God. And your life story is to be a story of being a minister of God's purposes, His purposes toward the saints in the context of the believers and to the purposes of, of a life that worships and glorifies and honors our Lord and our God. And your life is to be a means of God's providence. How great that may be, how well known that may be, that's His concern. That's not mine. It's not ours. But called to be faithful. Call to be faithful as God's chosen agent, just as Joseph of Arimathea was. It's not a story about a great man named Joseph, folks. It's a story about a great God who saved Joseph. And so is our story to be. It's not a story about how great we are. It's a story about how great our God is. And what He does in our hearts and lives. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have received so much of Your mercies and Your grace. Help us, Lord, to live faithfully. To be faithful to that calling to which we have been called. And Lord, we thank You for the power to deliver us. When we could not deliver ourselves, then we would not. A work of grace done in the heart. Thank you, Father. We praise you and we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.